Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ and welcome to First Presbyterian Church. We are so glad that you are here today that you gathered here to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord on this Easter Sunday. This is a special Sunday to be here. Every Sunday is special, but this one is, is beautiful for so many reasons. I mean, everything from the flowers, thank you so much to our Sanctuary Flower Committee. And can we thank our choir for the music that we've just heard? What a wonderful piece. You know, that, that piece, if you look at the notes in your bulletin, that piece comes from the Heidelberg Catechism, from the first question, which I believe is, is one of the best statements on Christian faith, Christian faith about our understanding about life and death. The question goes like this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And the response is, my only comfort in life and in death is that I belong not to myself, but to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is the comfort that we embrace today. And so thank you all. Thanks to our choir for presenting that in such a beautiful way. Because that's what we're here to talk about today is the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. That's particularly meaningful to me this year because over the last couple of years, we have all lost people through this pandemic. But a couple of months ago, it became very personal for me and that I lost a very good friend, one of my best friends, a guy named Rodney Kite, to COVID. Now, Rodney was the, the husband to my former choir director in South Carolina. His wife, Paige, is a good friend, and Rodney is about 15 years older than I am, but still one of my best friends. Now, I have lots of stories that I could tell about Rodney, but one of my favorites is about the first day that I met him. A mutual friend, Ellen Smith, had just turned 85. And Ellen was kind of a character, and she was inspired by the late president, our now late president, George H.W. Bush, to go skydiving on her 85th birthday. <laughs> you had to know Ellen to understand this, but I think you can imagine. So everybody at the church knew that Ellen should not go skydiving by herself at 85. And so members of the church started looking around at each other and somebody said, and, and, and it was decided that somebody had to go with her. And Rodney was the first person to raise his hand and say, I'll jump out of a plane with Ellen. I'm pretty sure he was the only volunteer though. <laughs> and so we all drove down to the airport in Walterboro, South Carolina to see this spectacle, a 55 and an 85 year old jumping out of an airplane. Now, Ellen and Rodney were, would both be doing tandem jumps, which meant that each of them would be jumping with an instructor. They would be harnessed together. Now, I didn't know Rodney well at the time, but while he was suiting up, I asked him, have you ever jumped out of a plane before? And pointing to the instructor, he said, no, but that guy's done it before lots of times. And I'm going to be strapped to him, and I'm going to hang on for dear life. Well, later I asked him, were you scared? And he said, of course I was scared. But I was confident to go. I was confident to put my life in someone else's hands because I was strapped to someone who'd been there before and who knew what he was doing. But when Rodney died, 
I knew he was going to be okay. Because long before he harnessed himself to that skydiving instructor, he bet his life, he bet his death, he bet his eternity on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Since the beginning of this new year, we have been studying the New Testament book of Hebrews. The first generation readers of this letter were facing terrible persecution. And they were beginning to waver, as you can imagine. They lost their freedom. They lost their property. They knew what it meant to suffer for their faith and to lose family and friends for the sake of Jesus. And they were beginning to ask, is it worth it? Can we trust him? Can we believe in him? Do we dare bet our lives on Jesus? And the plea, the heartfelt plea of the author of Hebrews is don't give up. Don't fall back. Don't lose heart. Jesus is worth it. And that's a question that we all need to ask and an answer that we all need to hear. Can we really trust Jesus? It's not just a question for people back then. That's a question for people now. I don't know if you noticed this morning, it was just something I heard on the news, but I checked it out. This morning, Easter morning, 2022, the New York Times published an opinion piece by Shalom Auslander titled, In This Time of War, I Propose That We Give Up on God. The understanding being that if this is all happening, then what, what do we need God for? When I was in Poland just a few weeks ago, I met a young woman a refugee from Odessa in Ukraine. And she said, I'm a believer, but my family are not believers. I keep telling them to trust God, but they ask, why? Why should they trust God when bombs are falling all around us? Why should we trust God when we're having to flee for our homes? Why should we bet our lives on him now? Rather, in this time of war, shouldn't we give up on him? Why should we trust Jesus with our lives? Why should we bet our lives on him? Well, God's answer to them and to us is the resurrection. We trust in Jesus because of the resurrection, because of Easter. Our second scripture lesson on this Easter morning comes from the book of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, beginning in the 19th verse. You may read along in the words behind me or in your bulletin, but hear now the word of God. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we ask that you would speak. 
where your servants are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. For three years, the disciples had seen Jesus do amazing things. Miracles of feeding, healing, doing battle with demons, commanding the wind and the waves, even raising the dead. They had heard the words of Scripture taught with authority like they'd never heard before, and they had witnessed compassion so unexpected and understanding so deep that it changed people. They really believed that Jesus was, as Peter said, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But then, on Good Friday... All of that came crashing down. When he was arrested, when Jesus was tried and humiliated and crucified, everything that they believed fell apart. They watched their beloved Messiah become just another victim, another statistic of Roman oppression. And their confidence was shattered. And they were afraid. What could possibly restore their confidence? The answer came on Easter morning. Even though it was risky, Mary Magdalene and several other women, friends and followers of Jesus, went to the tomb to clean and anoint his body with certain oils and perfumes and to do it as an act of respect, as a matter of ritual. But on their way to the tomb, there was a violent earthquake. And when they got to the tomb, they found the guards passed out, the huge stone rolled away, and an angel who looked like lightning in human form sitting on the stone. And the angel said to the women, be not afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Now, in that short statement, the angel declared three facts. First, that he was crucified. He really died and he really was dead. Second, that he has risen. He is really alive. And third, that he said this would happen. Now, what does all that mean? Well, it means that he was really dead. Jesus endured what scares us most, that great calamity of human existence, death. The Son of God died a real human death, and the Romans made sure of it. And he did it so that there could be no question that our Lord, that Emmanuel, God incarnate, understands the realities The pain, the mud, the blood, the fears, the stress, the temptations, and the pain that we endure in our lives. He did it first. He knows. But now, says the angel, he is alive. And not only that, he has kept his promise. 
This is exactly what he said he would do. This isn't some fluke. This isn't a mistake. This isn't an accident. This is exactly what God promised would happen. This is what the prophets foretold. And this is just what Jesus described. And as proof, the angel offers the empty tomb. He says, they saw the empty tomb. The angel said, come and see the place where he lay. The angel saying, if you don't believe me, have a look for yourself. His body is gone. The tomb is empty. If he's still dead, then habeas corpus, produce the body. Of course, that was satisfying for a moment, but within moments, the proof of the empty tomb became obsolete because then they not only saw the tomb, they saw him. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They didn't have to trust. They didn't have to rely on the proof of an empty hole. Because there he was. He stood before them. There he was, standing alive. Not just alive, better than he ever looked before. Radiant, transformed, godlike. And before we go any farther, I want to be clear. This really happened. It's not a legend. It's not a myth. It's not a hoax or a fable. The bodily resurrection of Jesus is a historical fact. It is every bit as historically true as World War II or 9-11 or the war in Ukraine or the Alamo. From eyewitness accounts to documentary evidence, the fact that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the grave is one of the best attested events of the ancient world, of human history. This really happened. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of death. The disciples had just witnessed the most horrifying death human eyes could see. Crucifixion was designed to intimidate. It was designed to inspire terror and submission. But here was Jesus, alive and radiating peace. And he says, do not be afraid. Since we've been studying the book of Hebrews, I want to go back to one of the most important themes in the book of Hebrews. I want to go back to chapter 2, in which the author of Hebrews says that Jesus tasted death for everyone, so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those, all those who through fear of death were, subject, were subject to lifelong slavery. Not only death, but the fear of death. And what this is saying is that because Jesus is alive, we no longer have to be afraid of death. The great Puritan theologian John Owen declared that the resurrection is the death of death. What he means is that death is dead because it's no longer permanent. 
God has robbed it of its finality. Death is now a temporary condition. It doesn't last forever. Death does not get the last word. The grave has lost its power. Disease is not the end. Pain is not the end. War is not the end. Murder is not the end. Suicide is not the end. Tragedy is not the end. We do not have to be afraid of death. We don't have to be afraid of death because he has proven that everything that death can take away, God can give back. That means that everything that cancer can take away, everything that war can take away, everything that disease can take away, everything poverty can take away, God can give back. But Hebrews says that Jesus did not just come to save us from death itself, but from the fear of death. When the author of Hebrews talks about the fear of death as lifelong slavery, what he means is that long before we die, we are gripped by the fear of death. And through that fear, death itself has a power over us. Now, I'm sure that most of us, most of you don't think about dying every day. But all of us are haunted by the anxieties of mortality. Fears for the future, fears of loss, fears of failure. And these fears are like little deaths, suffocating and stealing our joy. The fear of death is the sum of all other fears because it is ultimately the fear of loss. It's the fear that we will lose the people we love, that we'll lose the life we know, or our health, or our comfort, that we'll lose control, or our dignity, or our stuff, or our social standing, that we might even lose our freedom. And because those fears are real and palpable, the fear of death affects our political opinions and our decisions. It affects, it affects the way we spend, the way we give, and the way we save money. It affects what we eat and how we exercise, and it affects the risks we will tolerate. It affects our personal relationships, and it determines whom we will trust. And yes, death is real, and so too is our fear of it. But in the resurrection, Jesus says, be not afraid. Because everything that death can take away, everything that fear can take away, everything that failure can take away, or that sin or temptation or crime can take away, everything that we fear to lose, God can give back. And if we don't have to be afraid of death, then we don't have to be afraid of things like failure or approval or popularity or poverty or violence or war. All of the fears that kill our hearts and kill our souls, that kill our creativity or our compassion, our confidence, our trust, our community, our peace, and most of all, our joy. We are no longer slaves to fear. So do not be afraid. 
But Jesus also said, go. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. Right there on Easter morning within minutes of the resurrection and still within sight of the tomb, Jesus was telling them what to do next. He was telling them to look toward tomorrow and he told them to meet him in Galilee. Now Jesus didn't say that after his crucifixion he would see them in heaven. He said, meet me in Galilee. The Lord was challenging them to make a real world step of faith. This is a summons for them to meet Christ in this world, in this life. There are so many people who think that, that the gospel promise, the resurrection power, only has to do with what happens after we die, and that it doesn't have to do with the life that we can live now. But Jesus has said, I have come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Set free from death. Free to live for him and free to live for one another. There are so many people who have no knowledge or understanding of what Jesus has done for them. They think it's only about heaven. They think it's only about an afterlife. They don't understand what he has for them now. Worse, they may think that he hates them or he doesn't care. Or he can't do anything to make a difference. And that's why Jesus tells us to go, to make a real life, a right now, a real time commitment in our own lives because people are not going to trust in Jesus Christ. They're not going to trust him with their lives until they see him trust, us trusting him with our lives. Until they see us leading by example. Easter is about confidence. And because Jesus is alive, we no longer have to be afraid. Therefore, says the author of Hebrews, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, let us draw near to God. Again, the New York Times says this morning that we should, we should pass over God, that we should let go of God, that we should forget about him. But because of the, re the resurrection, we are told to draw near to God. I love it that when the women saw that Jesus was really alive, the first thing they did was run to him, to take hold of his feet, to worship him. They strapped onto him and would not let him go if their lives depended on it. Jesus is calling us to trust him and to draw near to him. He also says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Is now really the time in our world to let go of God? Instead, let's hold on to the truth. With so many people fear-mongering about the economy or about COVID or about racial division or war, with so much confusion about history and identity, let's hold on to the truth that Jesus is alive, that God is real, that he loves us, and that he is in control and let us stir up our community let us come together face to face shoulder to shoulder not just on Easter morning but every day let us come together and show the world that we believe that Jesus Christ is real 
God's mission for you is personal, but it is too big for you to handle on your own. That's why he's given us one another. Let's encourage one another. Spur one another on to get involved. And let the, con- let the resurrection give us the confidence to love generously, to reach out boldly, to, re- to repent humbly and forgive as we want to be forgiven. Let the resurrection help us to stand up courageously and restore lives and rebuild hope. We trust in Jesus. We have confidence because of the resurrection, because of Easter. When my friend Rodney died, I knew he was going to be okay because long before he harnessed himself to that skydiving instructor, he had strapped himself into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and he would not let go. Who are you holding on to for your hope? To whom have you strapped yourself? To whom are you clinging? The Lord says, draw near and be not afraid. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, as we come together on this Easter morning, we desperately need to hear those words. Be not afraid and go. You have drawn us together. You've given us your truth. You have given us a community. And you have empowered us, O Lord, to share the good news of your love and grace with all people. Lord, help us to take heart, to have confidence, to strap ourselves to you and never let go. We pray these things in your son's precious name and by the power of your resurrection. Amen.